Do you ever get so caught up in your emotions that you find it difficult to say what you need to in your relationship? Today, we're talking about emotional regulation and how important it is in your relationships. If you'd like to find out more about how you can improve your relationships, head over to therelationshipmaze.com where you can also take our free online conflict style quiz and discover your conflict style in your relationships and how you can improve it. Welcome to today's podcast and today we're talking about emotional regulation. Yeah, so when we talk about emotional regulation, what do we actually mean by that? Um, so it might be relevant, emotional regulation. What is it, first of all? Let's start there. Yeah, well, actually, let's just, you know, just talk about how important it is, actually, in the situations where you might need it. So in the intro, we talked about, you know, sometimes you get caught up in the emotion and you can't really express what you need to or express it in a way that doesn't serve us or the other person. Now, this could be times when you get really angry. Um, you know, maybe as you're listening, you can think of a time that you were in an argument with your partner uh, and you, you start with one thing that you're trying to kind of talk about, but you end up just arguing about something completely different. Mm -hmm. It's like all the kind of logic and kind of reasoning goes out the window. It could also be times when you're anxious. So it's not just anger, but times when you're feeling anxious or, or just upset. When we've got a high level of emotion, sometimes you know, the, the, the regions of our brain that allow us to reflect on what we're talking about, they begin to shut down. So we end up not being able to express ourselves in the right way. But also we get into this response where the emotion takes over and it's very visible through our face. It's audible through the way that we're talking. And that has an effect on our partner or anybody in any relationship. Uh, you know, it could be friends or even at work. Mm. And that can affect them as well. So it may mean that they start to go into an unwanted emotional response and they stop being able to kind of logically talk or kind of reason and everything goes out of control. Hmm. So when we're talking about emo emotional regulation, we're talking about kind of hitting the sweet spot, so to speak, yeah? hitting a, a kind of spot where we feel, where we may have an intense feeling, an intense feeling of anger, joy, sadness, uh, frustration, whatever it is, um, where we are still um, staying within the realm of not being completely controlled by this emotion, where we might realize that we have the emotion, but we don't not but our reasoning doesn't go out of the window. Is that right? Yeah, although you know to some extent the the reaction that we have is involuntary is that yeah. you know, all the way through the day we're triggered by things. Mm -hmm. You know, times when we get anxious, times when we get upset, times when we get into kind of anger. Mm. Uh, and these little triggers, sometimes we're not even aware of them, but we just notice there's a shift in how we're feeling. Because, you know, part of our brain has evolved to notice potential threats and, threats and danger. Mm -hmm. uh, and when that gets triggered, the sympathetic side of our nervous system becomes very active. It becomes, you know, we get into that state of arousal and we automatically begin to respond in a more defensive way. Mm -hmm. So it can be an automatic process, but I think it's, mm -hmm. it's becoming aware of those triggers and that response and then finding a way to rebalance that. And it's also about, yeah, absolutely. It's about when you say awareness, I think a lot of the time 
Um, I think lots of people actually really struggle to even identify the emotion that they are experiencing. It's quite hard, isn't it? It's difficult to know. I, and I know um, often when I have this discussion uh, with clients uh, and I ask them, so what are you what are you feeling? They really struggle to tell me. They can tell me uh, a thought that they're having or they can tell me that they have a, a, a particular physical sensation, but they really struggle to identify a particular feeling or a particular emotion. So it's quite hard to kind of know. They're no, finding quite difficult to know what is really going on for them. Yeah, and we're going to do a podcast actually on emotions as well. Where we kind of talk about this mm -hmm. in more depth. But you're absolutely right. Is you know, it may Often people, when they're describing the feeling, they're describing mm -hmm. more the thought. Mm-hmm. But there's a quote, and I can't remember the exact quote, but Viktor Frankl said something along the lines of, between stimulus and response, there's a gap. And it's in that gap that we have agency. Mm. So we tend to just react, like something triggers us, and we respond, we automatically go into that reaction of maybe anger or kind of sadness or kind of um, anxiety. Mm. And it, it's so automatic. But when we start to reflect and become aware of this response, then maybe we have potential to begin to shift it. Yeah, because emotions, I mean, there's also a, a distinction. Some people make a distinction between feelings and emotions. Um, so emotions are usually responses to a stimulus, um, something that somebody else does, and we have, an, we have a response to it. Um, so absolutely. So we get kind of triggered into... Uh, action so to speak into a particular sensation in our body whatever emotions are and we talk as you say we i don't want to sort of start sidetrack this uh, podcast about talking about uh, feelings and emotions and what they are so what we're talking about coming back to the topic of emotional regulations is this sense of where things kind of lose where you lose kind of lose control so to speak of that feeling it becomes so intense the sensation becomes so intense and so overwhelming that you lose your capacity to really engage with others. And engage by engagement also, I mean uh, connect with others, um, have uh, a discussion with others. You become really quite overwhelmed and you, can't, you struggle to really form a thought very clearly. And I'm sure you all know that. You know that when you're in the grip of that. You know that when you're in the grip of anger, for example. That's something that most people can quite easily identify, um, that you lose this sense of... Uh, of really being able to really sit there and reason reason out, um, uh, for example, a, a disagreement with a partner or somebody else. So it becomes it becomes really overwhelming. Yeah, so like you said, even that phrase, in the grip of anger, suggests mm. that anger controls you. That's right. Rather than you don't have control over it. Mm -hmm. and, and that's really important, is that... You know, often what happens is we get into this situation where we go into this fight, flight or freeze response mm -hmm. and we gradually or fairly quickly, we, we lose access to some of the higher cortical processing that we have. Mm -hmm. So things like the reasoning, the logic, the sort of our ability to reflect and we go into a much more emotional response, that defensive response, that, that more primal response that... Um, basically has been with us for thousands of years, which before we had our higher brain processing evolve. Mm. And so, you know, essentially we need to get back into that ability to get back into th th these, these areas of the brain that allow us to communicate, to basically to have those relational communications with people mm -hmm. where we can start to regulate through relationships rather than 
then then get into that defensive mode. Mm. Yeah, so that's what you're describing there is the the fight or, or flight response, which of course gets triggered when you have uh, when you perceive a threat, and you can uh, experience your partner as threatening if they say something that is deeply triggering for you. Yeah, if they bring something up that. Uh, that kind of puts you into a zone where you don't feel safe with your partner anymore. You don't feel connected to them. Uh, and also, I mean, what's interesting, um, one of the studies uh, in the field of trauma has shown that if you have experienced uh, a lot of trauma, or not just a lot, if you have exp experienced trauma in your life, you sometimes, when you get into the state of hyperarousal, you lose the capacity to actually uh, to interpret your partner's expression, the expression on their face. You can't actually distinguish anymore whether they are friendly, whether they're aggressive, whether they're hostile. It, it just blurs into one. You might interpret a relatively neutral expression on, on your partner's face as an attack on you. So the more adverse experiences you had in childhood, the more likely you are... Um, at making a misinterpretation, so to speak, particularly when you are emotionally very aroused. Yeah, so, um, and, and what you're talking about is the ACEs. So you may have heard of the ACEs, um, so adverse childhood experiences. And this could be a variety of different things that, again, we may talk about in another podcast in more depth. But you know, the more of these adverse experiences we have, the more traumatic experiences we've had in our lives, the more we tend to see potential threat around us mm -hmm. it's like if we've grown up in environments where there seems to be no safety threat is everywhere and later on in our lives when there are experiences that really are safe these relationships where there can be closeness and safety mm -hmm. we still will be looking for threat so we mm -hmm. go into this fight flight or freeze response automatically for for cues that really aren't threatening like you said, we may interpret a neutral face as, as being threatening. We may interpret a frightened face or a fearful expression as being angry. Mm -hmm. So we start to put different labels on things because essentially this is like a survival response. Mm -hmm. And this means that arguments or discussions can really get out of control because we start to misinterpret actually where the other person is coming from as well. Mm -hmm. And also our communication is affected. Mm, we're going to this response mm. you know when we're in a heightened arousal response our body gets tense not only our body but also our vocal cords mm. so the way that we speak is formed through tension in the vocal cords and if we have more tension in our body that directly affects the voice it affects our tonality so as well as what we see we're also picking up potential threats in the sounds that we're hearing in the way that someone's speaking mm -hmm. Whereas uh, another really interesting uh, discovery um, relates to um, regulation, to the, uh, to the concept of co-regulation. So when you are, um, you might be in a very heightened state of arousal, you might have very intense emotional experiences in a particular moment. But if you've relatively well adjusted, so to speak, I can't find a better term here, um, you, um, you can you have the capacity also to regulate your emotions through uh, tuning in to the other person, so to speak. And if you have a partner who's relatively, who stays very calm, for example, or has the capacity to contain your intense emotional experiences, they can help you to, um, to feel calmer, to feel 
more soothed, for example, in your response. So they can bring your emotional, the intensity of your emotion down. So something that's really important um, in this area really here, when you are, even when you have a, a very intense experience where you feel agitated, uh, if you have, if you still have the capacity, and again, this goes back to when you haven't had too many uh, traumatic or traumatic experiences in your life, you can regulate by sort of tuning in to, to other people. Yeah, and that's a really important point you're making, is that, you know, throughout the day, even if we haven't had a huge amount of adverse childhood experiences or traumatic experiences in the past, we still experience things that trigger us. We mm -hmm. still get angry, we still get anxious, mm -hmm. but we are able to regulate ourselves. And also, a lot of this regulation comes from, as you're saying, co-regulation, mm -hmm. that through that communication with others, other people help us to regulate ourselves through the social connection. If we've had a lot of adverse childhood experiences, that can become trickier because if we're constantly seeing threat, it becomes more difficult to use others to co-regulate. Mm -hmm. However, you know, through practice and through becoming aware of this, it's something that we can develop more capacity to get back into this ability to co-regulate. Mm -hmm. um, and I've worked with um, quite a lot of clients and had feedback with amazing sort of results when when they've been communicating with somebody somebody often very close to them and the other person gets quite anxious or angry and actually as you're listening now if you think about a time somebody maybe your partner or somebody you've been close to has got into a, a quite a strong emotional state like anger kind of anxiety or whatever it might be how does it affect you and then how do you respond to them mm -hmm. how does it change the way that you talk how does it change your feelings your emotional state because what our response will have a feedback effect on them mm -hmm. so if the other person's getting angry and i'm getting kind of angry as well this can increase that level of anger if the other person is getting anxious and i'm i'm getting more anxious this this will also probably increase the anxiety but if we're able to regulate our own emotions we can help to help the other person to regulate. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's a really key thing. I'm not talking about, you know, because if somebody's angry, you know, one of the last things you want to hear is somebody saying, calm down. Because <laughs> 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 that usually makes them more angry. Mm. But it's really about allowing yourself to stay in a more regulated state and also have empathy for where they are. Being That can help you to help them to self-regulate. And like I said, I've had clients mm. who have done this and mm. they've changed their response and it's had such a huge impact on the other people. Mm. You know, it's completely transformed these relationships and, and they never realised that actually they had a role in the other person's emotional response. Absolutely, yeah. So it, it also relates to, I mean, for those of you who are parents, um, you might uh, recognize this experience of where you are, where you have a very distressed child because um, they're angry about something they didn't get a sweet or that they wanted or they didn't, they weren't allowed to watch the TV program that uh, they wanted to see. And where you as a parent kind of what we call uh, contain this intense emotional state of your child, where you stay relatively calm. You basically help your child to transform this emotional experience over a period of time. So if you stay calm, if you soothe the child, your child effectively will come out of this emotional state. And the same is true, really, uh, for partners. 
and that you can be uh, an emotional container, so to speak. You can contain, uh, if you can manage to contain your partner's uh, experience, emotional experiences, then you help them to regulate and to kind of calm down, calm down, come out of this really intense state. But of course, that uh, always presupposes that you can regulate your own emotions. So if you have two people in the room who are highly unregulated, dysregulated even, then we have a problem, right? Then we have two people running around the room who are actually not not able to to really connect with their partner. Because when you are, one of the things that we also know is if when, if you're highly emotionally unregulated, if you're in a really high state of hyperarousal or hypoarousal, which is the opposite, we'll talk about that in a minute, you lose your capacity to connect. You can't connect really. In this moment, you're just kind of like in your own in your own little world, so to speak. Um, and when you have two people doing that, which of course very often happens with couples, um, then we've got trouble ahead because then there really is no connection. So one or the other in the relationship will have to start to regulate. Yeah. And so I suppose one of the questions is, how do we do that? How do we regulate? And I think one of the first things is having that awareness of what are your triggers? When do you tend to get triggered? What is your response? Being aware of them and actually write them down. Mm -hmm. So after you've listened to this podcast, think about some of those triggers that may trigger you. Mm -hmm. Think about how it makes you feel, what it makes you think. So become aware of that response. Because when we're aware of it, we can start to become aware and anticipate even. So we think, okay, we're going into this response and noticing that what was automatic and out of our awareness can now become in our awareness. Mm-hmm. And even within that, I think you know, one thing that I've, I've done with some people is have them label it. So, for example, if they know that when their partner says something in a certain tone of voice that would leave them feeling kind of upset and they realise that actually it's almost this fear of abandonment, it could be sort of in your mind when you get that response, just saying inside your head is sort of, ah, there's the abandonment trigger. There's that thought of abandonment in my mind. So stepping back from it, realizing, you know, this is a learned response. It's something that you learned at some point, but it's not actually necessarily in relation to what's going on now. It's something that's learned from the past, from situations that maybe were difficult or traumatic even when you were a child. Mm -hmm. But in this response, there isn't a threat. And by becoming aware of that and labeling it, we can start to step back and get some distance from it. Another concept that I think uh, can be quite helpful is Daniel Siegel's window of tolerance. That's the idea that we all have a window of tolerance, which is the kind of the state that we're in where we are relatively um, regulated in our emotions, where we feel quite well, we feel safe in the world, we feel comfortable. Now, somebody who's had a pretty safe uh, upbringing, their window of tolerance tends to be quite wide, whereas somebody who's had a lot of adverse childhood experiences or trauma in their life, their window tends to be quite narrow. And what happens on either side of the window, if we're not in this state, we can either go into hyperarousal, so that's where kind of where everything gets cranked up, the anger, the frustration, etc. Or conversely, we can get into a hypoarousal, where we're getting into this very melancholic or depressed collapsed state where we kind of freeze uh, where we completely shut down which is one of um, 
which makes it, I suppose, the, the hardest way to cre create any kind of in a connection with anyone else because we feel quite helpless, we feel overwhelmed, we feel we can't do anything about it. So what we... Um, What's helpful with this window of tolerance, I think, is to kind of consider what is it that keeps me in there? What keeps me in this window? What makes me feel quite uh, content, so to speak? What contributes to this feeling? What is it that I need to do in order to look after myself so that I don't get triggered one way or the other? Uh, what is it that makes me um, capable of regulating my breath, for example? of feeling relatively calm in a calm state. And this might be all sorts of things for lots of different people. Um, it might be for some people, it might be a sporty activity. For others, it might be um, singing, for example. I mean, a really excellent way of regulating or having an experience of regulating is by singing in a choir because you regulate, you fall into tune with others, literally and physically. So you have an experience of what that's like where... You know, if you sing too loud or too quiet, you're out of tune. So that might be quite a good way of kind of learning to connect with others and also in connecting with yourself, your own physical experience. Uh, it might be having a bath. It might be whatever it is yeah, that, um, that helps you to soothe yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you mentioned one of those things, which is to do with the breathing, which can be very important because... Essentially, you know, when we get into this fight, flight or freeze response, we want to help the parasympathetic nervous system come back online. Well, particularly mm -hmm. with fight or flight response. Mm -hmm. um, and a great way to do that is through something we do physically. Mm -hmm. um, you know, since things like exercise can help some of the sort of adrenaline cortisol flow through the system. But it's still quite high energy. So it's still finding that point where we bring things down, where we start to lower that energy. Otherwise, we still may stay in quite a high energized state. Um, so things like breathing can be a very powerful way to do this, particularly focusing on the breath out. Um, because it's found that the breathing in, if you know, when you're anxious, you tend to breathe in more, like <gasps> gasping for that air. And as you're breathing in more, your body's trying to take in oxygen. And oxygen will actually fuel the sympathetic response. Whereas when you're focusing on the breath out, that's been, you know, a lot of research suggested that will help you to get the parasympathetic nervous system engaged. So it helps you to slow the system down. It helps you kind of regulate. Mm -hmm. um, and over Christmas, I'll, I'll do another podcast um, where I'll take you through some visualizations and some breath work just to learn some of these techniques. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think breathing is is really, you know, really important. Um, every day, I myself actually just start with some breathing exercises. Um, I, I use a device called AeroFit, which I found really, I, I found it really beneficial, which takes you through some breathing training kind of techniques. Um, but you can do this, things like box breathing, which you may have mentioned before, or other types of breathing processes, which you may learn in yoga or meditation. But anything's can really be helpful. So breathing can be a great thing to do. Another thing is um, progressive muscle relaxation or techniques where you let go of tension from the body. Because again, when you get into that fight flight response, the body starts to tense. We get tense throughout the day without realizing it. That tension is an unconscious process. And it's usually in response to this fight flight response or perceived threat, which are often we're not consciously perceiving, but they're happening all the time. 
So we get tension and, you know, sometimes you get to the end of the day and maybe you've noticed that your shoulders feel sore or your kind of neck feels sore or whatever it might be, parts of your body feel uncomfortable. And it's because we've got that buildup of tension. Now, through beginning to become aware of this and learning how to release that tension throughout the day, that can, again, it can help to regulate your system so we don't stay in that sort of tense, reactive mode. Yeah, and of course, uh, what also helps, uh, that's, again, something that we have learned from the neuroscience, is that what helps us to regulate is, is having connection with other people. Um, and, you know, talking about our experiences, for example, can help us to regulate. The worst thing is when we are feeling very alone in our experience um, and very hopeless in that sense and very collapsed and we're not talking to anyone else. That's, you know, that's a whole other ball game. That's actually when it's it gets harder to, to, to do some of the regulation. So, um, so any kind of experience of where we are engaging with others will automatically make us feel better because we're social creatures. We're hardwired for connection as yeah. human beings. Yeah, absolutely. However, if we're really in that intense emotional state, mm -hmm. sometimes that connection doesn't seem possible. So yeah. we have to find a way to yeah. regulate to a level where we feel safe enough and willing enough to engage. Absolutely. I mean, that's a good point. And of course, if you are very agitated, very angry, for example, then you might have to have a bit of time out first before you launch into a big discussion with your partner and just let ripped, so to speak, because that helps you with your self-expression, but it doesn't actually help to resolve anything uh, in terms of the conflict situation or it doesn't help uh, behavioral change in your partner. Yeah, absolutely. So hopefully from today's podcast, you've taken away a few things where you can just discover how important emotional regulation can be in your relationships and some of the things you can do about them. And as I mentioned, I'm going to do a podcast over Christmas at some point where I take you through some different, well, maybe one or two different techniques that can help you learn some body ways to kind of emotionally regulate. And maybe just briefly to mention, we've done an earlier podcast as well. I put it in the show notes where we have talked about uh, some of the topics that we talked about today, where we talked about polyvagal theory, which might be of interest to some of you as well, which this was the, uh, a podcast, an episode that we did about the brain and how it functions. Great. So please tune into our podcast next week. Press subscribe and we'd love it if you leave a review. And also get in touch with us if you, would, if you have a topic you'd like us to talk about. We look forward to speaking with you next week. Take good care. Until then. Bye.